0: An unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect dharma is rarely met with, even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our lecture for this Saturday. It gives me a great uh, honor and pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Judy Sensing Wonder Fleischman, (laughs) whose Dharma name is Seicho Hoju, Essence Harmony Dharma Jewel. She began practice in 1998 with the Zen community of Oregon and was lay ordained by Chosen Jan Bays. She continued practice at the Village Zendo in New York City and received priest ordination from Enkyo O'Hara in 2005, and served as shuso in 2011 there. Judy in 2013 came to BCC and also with Everyday Zen, where she relocated when she relocated to the Bay Area. She's held various practice positions at BCC, including co-saturday director. And online programs manager when we uh, closed in for during the pandemic at the beginning of that, of course, along with co-facilitating uh, Jesus ceremonies and our annual MLK Day program. Judy also is a practice leader with Everyday Zen and serves on the board of the nonprofit organization, Mindful Peacekeeping, Peace Building. She probably keeps the peace there, too. She is a board-certified healthcare chaplain, and after working in hospitals, hospice, and other care settings, transitioned in 2014 to co-developing telechaplaincy programs with Healthcare Chaplaincy Network. She currently is palliative care chaplain for a pilot telechaplaincy program with Cigna Health, and in her resume concludes that in her prior life, she was a rocket scientist please give your complete attention to our speaker, Judy Fleischman.
0: Thank you very much, Ross, for the exuberant introduction. And good morning, everyone. Well, like you, I imagine uh, I'm feeling the poignancy and the anticipation of this remarkable moment.
2: Just looking around to see who's here. And here
0: we are, we're gathering in mid-March. And I feel in my body
2: the resonance of it being two years since we closed the physical Zendo. And also that in two days, we'll begin a process of reopening. of some among us gathering in person. And as we continue also keeping the doors open online. Reopening, we hear it a lot, not just
0: in our context, but just all over the place, right? Reopening, it's such a marvelous and strange expression.
2: I don't remember hearing it until this time. And on the one hand, what is that? We just continue. We say our practice is continuous practice, just the next thing.
0: Our online practice and our in-person practice will continue.
2: And we'll see how that is, moment by moment, life goes on. Still, right now, most intimately, we're together in a kind of threshold. And what's it like? for you right now to really see how that lands in the body to be at this threshold. So it feels fitting and necessary to
0: pause at this threshold and take stock of our journey,
2: particularly during these past two years. And if we're honest about it, if I'm honest about it, it's been rough. And it's no easy ride now either. So we hold that joy, that joyful anticipation of being at this threshold together with that rough. It's also rough.
0: And I don't know how it's been for you, but for me, many mornings during these two years, I've woken up with a tightness right here in my
2: chest. Sometimes it's got a, palpitating quality to it. It's very uncomfortable. Painful. Can bring up a lot of anxiety. And when I breathe into it, when I'm intimate with it, bringing that
0: curiosity that we talk about so much. And as you're likely well aware, being curious when it's really seriously uncomfortable,
2: when you feel like you wanna jump out of your skin if you could, Not easy. And yet, you know, as as Ross uh,
0: referenced me with a a kind of label, which I like, uh, sensing wonder.
2: There was a moment there, breathing into it, Of the wonder of discovering hard
0: as it was, hard as it is sometimes, that that tightness was recognizing a deep sense of loss and the pain not only of one loss,
2: but loss on loss on loss. And there's this. uh, Phrase, cumulative loss. You know, I'm reminding as I'm telling
0: you that this uh, poet Stanley Kunitz, he loved gardening and he has a, a poem and in it there's a line there about Living in the layers, not in the losses. But in that moment, that's the pain. And with that, touching into loss on loss is also seeing that I'm powerless,
2: how powerless I am, we are, to really change that. And two years ago, and You know, continuously, we had to adapt,
0: to pivot, to improvise while facing these losses. And all of it challenges me and you to locate the heart, the purpose of these forms, so we could face what feels unbearable. How would we practice? And here we are, coming back, not having
2: abandoned the practice. Yes. And how marvelous is that? We've done that together. And uncertainty remains everywhere. How can we be with this uncertainty? How can we truly reopen? Through our body practice, we bring our attention. And as I recognize this tension in my chest as grief, it was really
0: something to discover that it can appear in many
2: shapes, ranging from anxiety to numbness to rage to, to this deep sorrow that can feel like going down, uh, as they say, that rabbit hole. but not separating from that, while not
0: indulging it, not drowning in it. You know, Sojin talked, Roshi talked so often about finding our buoyancy
2: amidst the waves of change. And remarkably, I noticed
0: that that sensation and the tone of it shifted. And what
2: I noticed What I dropped into is love. And you know, sometimes what happens
0: when we're stuck, it can be more subtle than that. For myself, rather than a kind of tightness, I noticed what first I really didn't notice that I would go very fuzzy. I would check out on the cushion. And these past two years offered an opportunity to um, meet with a somatic psychotherapist. And I discovered in that something really powerful, which is that fuzziness was a sign of going into, uh, in the language of trauma, what's called a freeze. And I learned how to return from it. I learned how to notice the signs of it. And years ago in that former life of being a rocket scientist, I uh, was a crew member on a scientific airborne observatory. We went up to the North Pole to study the Aurora. Good stories for another time. But part of that is I had to go to this uh, Air Force Base in Ohio and do training in a altitude chamber to uh, recognize the symptoms of hypoxia, of oxygen deprivation, because by the time you're actually uh, really experiencing it, that's not the time you wanna put the oxygen mask on. So you wanna notice the early warning, right? And uh, it's different, interestingly, for, for different people. And so is uh, a freeze for instance, with, with trauma. So it, it's important to recognize how, how to respond to that. And, and I learned, I learned. And sometimes I needed to move. I had to physically reorient different ways to do that. And it, it's part of a growing conversation, actually, um, in our Dharma circles and just uh, circles uh, broadly of uh, trauma-informed practice, trauma and mindfulness. Subject to go into more detail maybe another time. But what's important about all this is how we reopen. What happens in those moments? How does our practice manifest, serve, be of benefit to ourselves and everyone? Well, that love that I'm talking about in really touching into really what it was and and what it is when it comes up is is actually a feeling of heartbreak, you know, and I, I like that image because it's something breaking open,
2: you know, when it breaks, it doesn't break and disappear. There's that opening. And in touching that,
0: this this thing I call loss also shifts. And it opens to appreciating the raw tenderness that, oh, this is real. And again, that curiosity, what do I mean by that? What what is this real reality? And it's that It's something so ordinary and yet so significant that we're in this together. And in that moment of recognizing that, and when I say recognizing that, that's
2: the body speaking. And the one body. And in just that moment, There's a dying of loss. Loss transforms.
0: It reveals its true nature as love right here. And what is that love? What's the specificity of it in terms of our practice? It's actually quite specific because what that is, is it reveals our life as bodhisattvas. And what is that awakening beings? that we are awakening
2: together as we chant every day, and that's reopening. Joanna Macy, who who
0: spoke here not long ago, Buddhist teacher, deep ecologist, in many ways, I think a, a prophet for our time, she puts it this way. And for those of us who, who were here or heard her speak or maybe read some of her books, you know she's in her, uh, well into her 90s now, and she's one of the most exuberant people I've, I've ever encountered. So you can imagine this in her exuberant voicing. And she puts it this way. She says, you're always asked to stretch a little bit more. And actually, we're made for that. But in any case, there's absolutely no excuse for making our passionate love for our world dependent on what we think of its degree of health, whether we think it's going to go on forever.
2: This moment, you're alive. And that quality of presence, I think, is what Suzuki Roshi meant. And what's recorded in Zen mind beginner's mind when he spoke about Zazen.
0: He said, concentration is not to try hard to watch something. Concentration means freedom. In Zazen practice, we say your mind should be concentrated on your breathing. But the way to keep your mind on your breathing is to forget all about yourself and just to sit and feel your breathing. So when I say to you that I breathed into that tightness uh, or how breath met, recognizing the signs of going into a checking out,
2: just notice how it is for you right now with the breath. Sit and feel your breathing. Yesterday was the forty-ninth day since the passing of Tiknan Han. And I believe that the way that he referenced
0: all of this, named this, which of course he did in many ways as our teachers do, but one that really
2: feels so alive today at the threshold is what he called the miracle of mindfulness. What is a miracle really? Recognizing something, it's transformative power, that reopening.
0: And I experienced that when I returned to the zendo earlier this week for morning zazen, as one of a number of people in practice positions who are preparing for next week's reopening. And as I opened
2: that zendo door, and face the altar, turning to bow. I felt this quality of what Dogen speaks of when he speaks of zazen,
0: and zazen is our whole life. Is not being step by step meditation, but the Dharma gate. And it's often translated as the Dharma gate of ease and joy. Uh, but I was curious, so I did a little searching. And I came across a different translation by uh, Tatsugami Roshi in a talk he gave at Tassahara in 1969. And he translated, this as zazen is not step-by-step meditation, it is merely comfortable practice. And he then said that zazen's purpose is to free people from seeing life from a narrow point of view. So at that threshold of the zendo standing there and turning to bow, I felt that quality of this comfortable practice
2: of arriving. And an hour later, when I left the zendo, I was sweeping out in the courtyard. I had to stop and breathe deeply as tears arrived, as tears filled my eyes. And just then, I turned because I heard a friendly voice say cheerfully, hi, Judy. <laughs> and it was Yoni,
0: who is now a resident at BCC, and who I've been working, had worked closely for a lot of these two years on
2: our online programs by phone, by Zoom. And there we were in the flesh. We bowed. And I'll tell you in that moment, those tears in my eyes, I felt Sojin bowing. Maybe you feel that now too. Right here. And I see him smiling and returning to sweeping, or maybe time to put away the broom. A miracle moment, the miracle of mindfulness, the depth of love reopening. Ozan Roshi uh, reminded us in his tribute to Thich Nhat Hanh a
0: few weeks ago of something that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh wrote in his book, Peace is Every Step, Mindfulness in Everyday Life. He wrote, mindfulness must be engaged. Once there is seeing, there must be acting. Otherwise, what's the use of seeing? And Sojin Roshi spoke of this as responsibility, our ability to respond. Had this pithy way of spinning language, much like Suzuki Roshi. Our responsibility.
2: Don't you just love that? It's so easy to remember. And it's I realized being at this threshold now
0: and revisiting this time we've been through
2: and are in, that it's that recognition, that understanding, which to me feels very alive in saying, touching into love and responding with love that has sustained me. sustained us. And I experience it. You know, I've pondered this very deeply. What is mindfulness? And we have studied this. And and how to really say that in a
0: way that really feels full. And and in this moment, the way I would say this is to, to experience this flowing
2: From a mindfulness that we belong to one another. And that with that, naturally, we
0: don't have to effort. Naturally comes this responsibility. To care for and with each other.
2: How miraculous is that? I mean, really. And it's that very
0: thing that offered us and continues to offer us the freedom to pivot, to adapt, to be buoyant
2: amidst all that's going on. It's what we've been doing all along, actually. And it's, it's helped to stay the course
0: as the world turns, it seems, upside down
2: the torrent of conditions and the flood of emotions arriving with that. And during last
0: year's uh, spring practice period, we explored mindfulness through the Satipatthana Sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, and also uh, a bit with Thich Nhat Hanh's commentary on it called Transformation and Healing. And when Jerry... Oliva gave her second talk on this sutra, I remember asking her about how sangha folds in, dharma friendship. And looking back on that question now, I'd say more broadly how relationality comes in. And she said that the Buddha recommended having friends
2: with whom to practice mindfulness And if you really ask yourself, you know, as I have, if I go
0: below the surface of that, like, well, of course, you know, that's sangha. But what, what, what's that really about? And then Hoson, also after that same talk, he noted that mindfulness of dharmas, which is one of those foundations, that that's seeing through the lens of vow or bodhisattva vow Recognizing that we're waking up together. And Thich Nhat Hanh, I think, speaks to this in his commentary when he writes, to observe is to be one with the object of observation. The
2: subject of our observation is our mindfulness. Mindfulness has the function of illuminating and transforming. When our breathing,
0: for example, is the object of our mindfulness, and you can,
2: we can notice that right now. It becomes conscious breathing and gives it a
0: calming and healing quality. Mindfulness is the observing mind, but it does not stand outside of the object of our observation. It goes right into the object and becomes one with it.
2: And that is really, really important. And you can notice that right now. Or at least have that intention. Hold that intention. What is that? Going right into the object and becoming one with it. It's a great description of how Zazen, and Zazen
0: as our whole life, functions to free us. Now, I remember uh, when I was uh, standing at, uh, at the eyepiece of a really long, big telescope, um, and I was gazing out at the galaxy, our nearest neighbor, Andromeda,
2: getting it into view and the galaxy. And I had this moment of sensing that I didn't need the telescope to be one with the Andromeda galaxy. I could feel that in the body, the light, From those stars, the time it takes for that to reach us. I could say, I'm looking at the past. But being in the Andromeda Galaxy, looking at the light from our sun, solar system, our galaxy, Milky Way, seeing me as the past. How could that be simultaneous?
0: And yet, I could feel it. There, then, here, now. It's the same with us. I mean, some of us, we're all over the place, physically, maybe emotionally, but <laughs> certainly space. Some of us are in different time zones, and yet we're all here now. Miraculous, being one with the object. I could not be separate from what I was observing.
2: It's the same when we speak of being one with our activity, just chopping carrots, just brushing your teeth, getting ready for work, your kids for school, changing a grandchild's diaper or whatever it might be, making sandwiches to give to those who are hungry. When the heart is tight, eating that. when we see the brutality of war in Ukraine, the protests
0: in Russia, the arrests, the devastation of millions of refugees, injustices and polarization in this country and elsewhere across the globe, the fear of war expanding, wondering how to live with a pandemic becoming endemic and the
2: planet itself in peril. We become one with that and stay buoyant through mindfulness as a recognition of familiarity
0: that what is happening apparently there then is also happening here now. And that's so important in this historical moment. It's always been important. And yet for us, our context matters. And to recognize it matters, because from that comes the heart of love and our responsibility and how good it feels to engage that together. It shapes our work here in the sangha taking care of the temple and grounds as our residents and folks coming in to take care of the garden, you know, all kinds of ways, preparing those bag lunches for the homeless. Also, wanting to understand the impact of often subtle patternings, rooted in collective and cultural conditioning. And finding new ways to communicate, to say what we need to say to one another, and also to hear, to listen to ourselves and to others to what we sometimes just don't or can't hear. That's where Dharma friendship really comes in, that that mindfulness, needing good friends to meet in mindfulness. We're learning how to be mindful in ways that call in rather than call out. And that, all of that reopens us to what matters. It's like when Suzuki Roshi spoke of the swinging door. He said, we should live in this moment. So when we sit, we concentrate on our breathing and we become a swinging door. And we do something we should do, something we must do. This is Zen practice. When we become truly ourselves, we just become a swinging door, and we are purely independent of, and at the same time dependent upon everything. And I think of that swinging door now as that reopening. It's it's continuous. Not easy. continuous. And one example of that for me, I I recommend it to you. There's a wonderful book by uh, Sister Chan Kong, right there with Thich Nhat Hanh all those years. And she has a wonderful book, which I I found really inspiring. I'm rereading it now for this time. It's called Learning True Love, uh, Practicing
2: Buddhism in a Time of War. But what I want to bring your attention to is look at that half smile. How we can meet this life, meet one another. In that book, she gives
0: many examples of how she and Ticknott Han and how they were developing an approach. And one aspect of that is in mindfulness, mindfulness of breathing, a walking meditation, like walking all night as they were facing all kinds of news and not sure what to do and recognizing needing to really touch into that, to not bypass it. And also to come, to come from a recognition of the other also. In order to be responsive, and how incredibly inspiring that is to see that because it's it's so relevant for right now. Responding and, 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 and deeply looking into the roots of the suffering, seeing that we're in
2: this together, another moment of reopening. And finally, uh, Zen practitioner and lawyer and teacher, educator.
0: So I would say Rhonda McGee. She writes of her own experience of mindfulness in a book called The Inner Work of Racial Justice. And in that she talks about her own experiences of something called implicit bias, which is rooted in what I was mentioning a few minutes ago, this collective and, and cultural patterning and how mindfulness can heal and transform the harm of this. And when I say mindfulness, it's that recognition that there's a particularity to it, that mindfulness that we belong to each other, that mindfulness of dharmas, the seeing through the lens of our bodhisattva vow. We're waking up together. I'm not doing this to help you like I'm over here and you're over there any more than you're doing that for me, we are waking up together. We need each other to to tap into that
2: mindfulness, including what I miss and what you miss, with kindness, with compassion, with buoyancy. And in doing that, we heal and transform. And you know, I imagine we're gonna have opportunities to, to learn about some of these things
0: in coming months. And there's always a lot to learn. You know, one of the other big biggies these days is, like I was talking about a little earlier, is trauma activation and how that connects with our practice.
2: Still. What's so encouraging right here at the threshold together is that all we really have to remember to do is to keep showing up as we have
0: today. We can trust that. It's how we realize our bodhisattva vow, our commitment to reopen to life and love as the Dharma gate of
2: transformation and healing together with all beings. And so with that, that's what I wanted to say today. And, and now
0: I'd like to hear how, how it is for you. We have some time for, for some dialogue. Uh, about this and Hiko-san will uh, offer us how to go about
2: doing that.
1: Thank you, Judy, so much for a moving and uh, uh, deeply current (laughs) talk. Please bring your
2: questions. Thank you. Hi, Judy, I have a question,
3: It's Kabir.
2: Hello, Kabir.
3: Hi. Sorry, I'm uh, waiting in the car for my daughter to come out of the gym, so I have like two minutes (laughs) to ask a question. Dharma on the road. You mentioned layers during one of the uh, long sessions I had. By the third day, I started sort of, not visually, but almost felt the layers and layers and layers. I kind of took it as the making of me, you know, Kabir. Um... And you mentioned today that we gotta work through those. So I wanted to find out how do you do it, and you know, any tips, suggestions, insight.
0: So I'm wondering if you could say a little more about how you experience those layers in such a moment.
3: Yeah, it was the third day of rohatsu, and uh, it was during the towards the evening. And I was facing the wall. Um, and all of a sudden, my, just, my tears just started just coming. And and luckily you face the wall, so you don't feel like always watching you cry, you know? And it just, I felt it was just, it's it just like a meltdown. And uh, I was trying to find uh, somebody to just talk to and um, see, you know, so Alan, I went with Roz's um, uh, place and it was just uh, these layers and layers of some of were just the normal stuff, but there's some layers of the negativity, the shame, all that, but it just, uh, it, it didn't, they felt sort of extra, but didn't feel separate. But at the same time, they didn't feel part of me. But at the same time, I, I just couldn't shake them because they were, they were just part of me. And I think the fear that I still have is that if I will let go to the, from the, of those layers, if I have the, the courage to just try to let him go, well, then what's going to happen to Kabir? So I think the grasping is what's, what's binding me to those. But at the same time, I sort of don't have a problem with uh, with, with those layers.
2: So, what I hear you saying is it's not the layers, really, it's the grasping
0: and how, and how also relating,
2: being met, you know, maybe in that moment by Hoson. also by Ross. It's really important. We are doing this together. And those layers, they don't
0: disappear. They flow, they, they transform and, and, and you're transforming. So what's it like in that moment to recognize, oh, it's like uh, Uchiyama Roshi spoke of just opening the hand of thought, oh, I'm gripping.
2: Oh, and, and, and even in that moment, the hand naturally opens. And then who are you? you? It might be a moment of just bowing. And also that moment has brought you to this moment of sharing this with all of us. which is helpful. It's not easy to speak to
0: these experiences in a way that reveals our practice.
3: Yes, and um, the one word that Sojin often talked about, and he gave talks on that, Helps me sort of maneuver around those layers of composure. You know, because they they function, the each of those layers, they they can swing it to the one extreme of, oh my God, the world is ending. Oh my, what am I, you know, and the two extremes like, oh, okay, all right. Okay.
0: Yes, and that's also a, a great example of um, another teaching about mirror wisdom, you know, that, that that transformation reveals the heart of wisdom coming forward, that, that these layers, you know, uh, actually thinking of something um, both Sojin Roshi and Thich Han spoke of, which is composting. And that actually we can look deeply into the compost, right? The layers in the compost, the quote garbage, and we can already see the the life springing forth from it. Because then there is also here now the flowers and the muck, the lotus and the mud. So living, you know, when Stanley Kunitz, the great gardener poet, speaks of living in the layers. It sounds to me like that's what you're talking about. You're composting your life. And it's a wonderful thing. Thank you for sharing that with all of us and, and for your continuing practice.
2: You're welcome, thank you, Judy. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Kabir. Um, again, please go ahead with your question.
4: Uh, thank, thank you, Judy, for your, uh, your talk today. And, um, uh, and, um, I, I was struggling today as I sat with um, um, continuing, um, you know, just the images and understanding of, of the, the, the war in Ukraine and the invasion of Ukraine and the suffering of the people and, um, you know, and then sitting um, with that and, you um, so I, it's still there for me, and um, but I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to um, consider what what action do I take in re- recognizing that that's a reality. There's there is no separation in some way. I mean, I don't feel a sense of separation between us and them. Um, and so then I was very I was very excited to see your or interested in seeing you reference the book um, Learning True Love Practicing Buddhism in Time of War. It was like, oh, this 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 may be speaking to me, and I'm just wondering if um, I mean that seemed very timely, particularly for me, but probably for all of us as we recognize we are we have probably never not been in a time of war, but now most acutely um, we are in that moment and. Um, so I'm just curious whether or not that, so I'm about to order the book and I'm wondering, it is, will that offer some answer um, to my own challenge as I sit and clearly not doing anything about the war and for the people and the suffering of where I am here, but I want to do something and I'm not sure what that is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, maybe it's the chaplain in me, but I love um, turning a close ended question into an open ended one. So um, you said, will it? And I might ask you, how will it? How will our practice reveal our life? How will that response ability naturally arise? And maybe one way is just notice right now in your body where you feel, say that creative tension. You know, I sometimes experience that as having my foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. And you gotta find the balance. It's not just easing up on one, it's finding the interplay. So noticing, you know, right now where that tension is. Is it a um, an analysis, thinking around options and weighing this and that? Is it more of a physicality of a tightness or a, something else somewhere? And, and then being with that. Shining light on that, really touching into that. And then maybe whether it's picking up this book or
2: talking to others who also are with this,
0: that when that conversation is happening, you stay embodied, stay with the breath. And just notice what comes up. It's kind of that thing about noticing when I'm starting to experience oxygen deprivation. You know, for some, it's uh, itchiness in the scalp. For others, it's the fingernails turning blue, you know. Uh, Attuning to how that is for you, because you also, uh, within you, through you, is a compassionate wisdom. And it needs... It needs a fertile ground in which to uh, come forth. And you know this because you have offered so much in community, you know, in looking at what's needed and responding with very concrete things. Like I remember just before the pandemic, when we were going to stay open, you brought by these hand sanitizer dispensers, which I think might still be on my pre-shelf, because we were going to have that. Who knows? Maybe we'll put them out now. We, We have bottles, but you know, we could have a dispenser. You never know. And that's not unrelated, actually, to Ukraine. Yeah. But... I I look forward to continuing to um, be with this, including maybe some of us reading this book and uh, looking at at parallels, what's going on in Ukraine and how they responded then
2: and, and what might be possible now. But it's also just keep showing up. Really good to see all of you. We have a question from Ross. Please go ahead, Ross.
1: Thank you, Hiko. I was enjoying the silence, but um, here we are. Uh, Here's me again asking a question. Uh, Judy, um, when you referenced our reopening, it reminded me of a conversation that Suzuki Roshi had with a student when he uh, was asked, when does Zazen begin? And his response was, it never ended. So I'm wondering what you make of that, uh, exchange and how does that relate to being closed, uh, and reopening or were we ever closed briefly? Cause we're kind of toward the end here, but, uh, I'm curious.
0: It's swinging door, opening, closing. Here it looks like opening, here it looks like closing. So we have to be together. And it keeps swinging.
1: And how do we lubricate the hinge?
0: I like bowing.
1: That works. Thank you very much, Judy.
0: Thank you, Ross. And thank you, everybody. Yings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow
2: to become it.